as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. For you have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Jesus Christ. If so be that we suffer with him, that we may be also glorified together. Welcome to the Unchanging Word Bible Study. Our teacher is Dr. John G. Mitchell. Dr. John G. Mitchell often asked a question that is still inscribed on the library wall on the campus of Multnomah University. He asked it of every class and challenged every student with it. Don't you folks ever read your Bibles? It is quite evident that he did. Dr. Mitchell once forgot his Bible in his office when he arrived to teach a graduate-level class on the Minor Prophets. Without a pause, he quoted the scripture for the day, word for word, from memory. Dr. Mitchell knew his Bible. Many were blessed by his Bible teaching, and today we invite you to share in those blessings by listening to the Unchanging Word Bible Study. The name of our study, The Unchanging Word, highlights the fact that God's Word has not changed. What God reveals in His written Word was true in the past, is still true today, and will be true tomorrow. The truth in God's Word was, is, and always will be true. God never changes. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Life begins at Calvary, there my Savior died. He took my place and by His grace came with me to abide. All I need for living is mine by just believing. Life begins at Calvary, life that never ends. The study in Romans chapter 8 begins in verse 14. This is the unchanging word. Bible study. Well, the passage we are studying today is Romans chapter 8, verses 14 through 16. These verses are full of references to the Holy Spirit of God. And Dr. Mitchell explains how one comes into relationship with the Lord Jesus and, hence, into relationship with the Holy Spirit. He also shares with us how both the Apostle Paul refers to the believer as a son of God, while the Apostle John refers to the believer as a child of God, as children of God. And as such, we have an intimate and affectionate personal relationship to the Father. So let's open our Bibles to Romans chapter 8, verse 14. Here is our teacher, Dr. Mitchell. Thank you. Good day, friends. Again, it is our great joy and delight to come to you. And we're studying together these days in the book of Romans. Uh, I am sorry that sometimes I begin to talk too fast. However, it is our great desire to present the truth in such a way so that every one of you will be able to understand the wonders of the revelation of God as we see it in this marvelous book of Romans. Now, we're in chapter 8, and I would like to read from verses 14 through 17. Romans chapter 8, verses 14 through 17. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. For you have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit 
that we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Jesus Christ. If so be that we suffer with him, that we may be also glorified together. Allow me to stay here for a few moments. Here we are dealing with a new relationship. Now, it's remarkable to take the context and see how the Spirit of God through the Apostle Paul brings us into this position of a new relationship. You remember in our last lessons, we were dealing with the verses 5 to 13, a new place in which to live. And we found in verses 5 to 8 a contrast between the flesh and the spirit. One leads to death, the other one leads to life. And then we find that the mind of the spirit, that is, a believer, when he is dominated by the spirit of God, enjoys a life of peace and of joy. Whereas if one's life is dominated by the flesh, then of course you have just the opposite. Now, in verse, in verse 9 to 13, we have a believer's position and his responsibility. For example, in verse 9, we are all believers are in the Spirit. It is true that all believers do not walk in the Spirit. And when I say believers, of course, I'm talking about those who have put their trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. Then in verse 10, we found that the body was under the sentence of death because of sin. But we do have hope. And in verses 10 and 11, we have the hope given to us because the Spirit is life because of righteousness. And then they have the, the promise of our bodies being transformed, that the Spirit of God who indwells us is going to make alive, that is, free the body from the sentence of death by the Spirit of God that lives in us. Hence, because of this, he does not want us to live after the flesh, but after the Spirit. We owe the flesh nothing, absolutely nothing. And having in us the power of resurrection and transformation, then the same Spirit of God that is going to change our bodies and make them immortal certainly can control our bodies if we let him order our lives. And he goes on to declare that we owe the flesh absolutely nothing. It is God who has saved us. He's justified us. He's freed us from the bondage of sin as a master. He's freed us from Adam's race, which is unto death. He has freed us from the law with all its bondage. My, how much we owe God. We owe the flesh nothing, but we do owe God everything as believers, not to be saved, not to be delivered from these things, but rather because he is the one who is our Lord and our Savior. And as I have said before, and I repeat it, a holy life without a controlled body is a contradiction. Indeed, I would say very frankly, the flesh did nothing else but give us trouble. And I'm sure you all agree with me on that. Now we come to a remarkable thing. Not only are we living in a new place in the Spirit, but he has brought us into a new relationship with God. For I read in verse 14 through 17, For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. We have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but we have received the spirit of adoption whereby we cry, Abba, Father. Let me just stop here a moment. 
The old race had nothing to give us. It has been proven incurably bad. So what is God going to do? He's going to bring in something entirely new. You remember in John's Gospel, chapter 1, in verse 9 and 10, we read, The world was made by him, but the world knew him not. He came unto his own, and his own received him not. Verses 10 and 11 of the first chapter of John. Then you have to verse 12, But to as many as received him, that is, Jesus Christ, to them he gives the right to become the children of God, even to them that believe on his name, who are born not of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but are born of God. You see, the old race having proved itself incurably bad, God must bring in a new race of people. Is there any need for a new race? Why, of course. We just found in chapter 8, verses 7 and 8, that the carnal mind, the mind of the flesh, is enmity against God. It is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. So then they that are in the flesh cannot please God. You see, sin has ruined everything. It caused Satan to fall. You remember his root sin was pride. Five times in that prophet Isaiah 14 and Ezekiel 28, Five times Satan said to God, I will, I will, I will exalt my throne above the stars of heaven. I will be exalted, and so forth and so on. In Genesis chapter 3, you take Adam and Eve, the same thing, pride. Satan said to Eve, why, God knows if you eat of that tree, you'll be just like God, knowing good and evil. And this is followed right on down through the history of man. The world killed his prophets. His word was despised. They crucified his son. What can God do? Well, my friend, listen. God's bringing into being a new race of people. What is God doing in the earth today? He's not dealing with nations as such. He is dealing with individuals. In fact, I would say to you, when God begins to deal with the nations, I don't want to be on earth. And if you know what I mean, when you read from the book of Revelation chapter 5 and read through chapter 19 and see the judgments of God upon the, upon the world, upon the nations. In fact, as Isaiah 26 declares, when thy judgments are in the earth, then the inhabitants thereof learn righteousness. They'll not learn any other way. They've despised his grace. They've spurned his love. So what can God do? So I read here in verse 14, as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. Now, I think maybe a word of warning here will be in order. There are some people who teach that when you believe the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, you receive him into your own heart and life. You're putting your trust in him as your Savior and Lord, that you become a child of God. And then as you're led by the Spirit of God, you become a son of God. Now, that's contrary to Scripture. When John is writing about the family of God, he always calls us children. You see, John the Apostle is not dealing with our standing so much. John is dealing with the question of life and relationship and fellowship. 
For example, in John's Gospel, it tells you how to receive life. In the Epistle of John, how to enjoy that life. But it always addresses us as children. Now, I recognize in the King James Version of the Bible, uh, the word there is sons, but the word really is technon, which means children, because John is dealing with relationship, fellowship, and life. Now, the Apostle Paul, who is the Apostle of Faith, he talks about our position and our standing before God. And we not only stand before God as his children, but as his sons, as Ephesians chapter 1, verse Verse 5 declares, God determined that we should be adopted into his family as sons. This is what you have here. As many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. In other words, the moment you accepted the Savior, my friend, the Spirit of God was involved in this. How did you receive Jesus Christ as your Savior? You say you heard the Word of God. That's right. But remember, the Spirit of God was the one who made it real to you. He was the one who opened your eyes to your need of a Savior. It was the Spirit of God through the Word of God whereby you became a child of God. And not only so, but you became a new creature in Christ. As 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. Or if you take Galatians chapter 6, verse 15. Being a Jew or a Gentile profits nothing, but a new creation. Or you take 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 4, where Peter says, By according to these many wonderful promises which God has given to us, we have become partakers of the divine nature. In other words, the moment you and I accepted the Savior, we were led into the family of God. Not only has he forgiven us our sins, in Romans chapters 3, 4, and 5, and declared us righteous. Not only has he put us into a new family or having a new head, the new Adam, the last Adam, the new man, Christ Jesus in chapter 5, and he's delivered us from the master's sin in chapter 6, and he delivered us from the bondage of the law in chapter 7. But now, where are we? We are in a new race of people. And in this new race, we're born of the Spirit of God into this new family, into this new race. And everyone in this new race has eternal life. Death does not even cast a shadow. Even though our Savior was spurned by the world and was spurned and rejected by Israel, by the Jewish people, God today is dealing with individuals. As I said a moment ago, he's not dealing with nations. God today is gathering out of people for his name, made up of anybody, anybody, whoever they are, if they accept his son as their savior. It doesn't matter what race or tongue or color you are, if you accept the Lord Jesus Christ as your own personal savior, as a definite proposition, then you become a member of a new race, you become a member of the family of God. You remember in 1 John 3, 1, if I may quote that verse, Behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us, that we should be called the children of God. Therefore the world knoweth us not, because it knew him not. Beloved, now are we the children of God. The marvel of it all. 
I belong to a family. I belong to a race of people where death doesn't even cast a shadow. My friend, this is part of our, our salvation in Christ. That's why in John chapter 3, you remember, Jesus Christ said to Nicodemus, you must be born again. God has no confidence in the old. He's bringing in an entirely new race of people. In fact, God is not ashamed of this relationship. You know, it's a staggering thing when you think of it. I find some Christians that are ashamed before the world to declare themselves the children of God. The children of one who is God. But you know he's never ashamed of us. In John's Gospel, chapter 20, after resurrection, our Lord said to the women, you go and tell my disciples that I ascend to my Father and your Father, to my God and to your God. In the book of Hebrews, chapter 2, I read, he is not ashamed to call us brethren. And in Hebrews eleven sixteen, I read, and God is not ashamed to be called our God. Of course not. God is not ashamed of the work of his Son. And having redeemed us, having bought us for himself, having given us a divine pardon, given us a new nature, given us eternal life, made us his children, well, my friend, what more can God do for you? He's brought you right, right to himself. You know, this is to me is a, a most amazing thing. And I don't want to get sidetracked too much on this, but I want to, I wish in some way I could put into your heart just the way I feel about this question of the fact that you and I, who at one time were children of wrath like the rest, sinners deserving doom, can say with great joy, we are now the children of God. And God has started to work in us and he's going to finish it. And when he finishes the work he's going to do in you and me, we're going to be just like his son, Jesus Christ. What a prospect. What a hope. In fact, when you start at verse 18 and go on right on down through verse 25, he takes up this question of a, of a body redeemed. But for the present, I want you to think of this new relationship. As you walk today, as you go to work, as you work in your office, in your family, think of the dignity of it. We are the children of one who is God. And as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. We stand before God, adopted into his family, not only as children, but as sons. What a wonderful thing I say. Members of an entirely new race. No wonder in Galatians chapter 4, verses 6 to 7, or if you go a little bit beyond that or before that, in the fullness of time, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. In Galatians chapter 3, 26, as many uh, as those who believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, they are what? Children of God. We are all the children of God by faith in Jesus Christ, partakers of divine nature, adopted, placed in the family of God, as his sons. Hence we can say, we cry, in verse 15, we cry, Abba, Father. 
We have not received the spirit of bondage, which we had under the law, but we received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. You know, this is an amazing word, Abba, Father. Do you ever think of it? No longer in fear of being slaves to sin, slaves to the flesh, but bold to be able to say in the presence of God, Abba, Father. If you were to go to the Near East today, whether it be in Israel or among the Arab world, you'll notice that they call, the children call their fathers, Abba, Daddy. Here is a sweet relationship. Oh, the wonder of it. I wish in some way we Christians could take this place before God as his children and say that we are the children of God. He's Abba. He's my father. And by the way, the very moment I say that I'm his son, I'm his child, then I must be subject to his discipline. As Hebrews chapter 12 says, whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth and scourgeth every son whom he receives. Is it not a wonderful thing today that God can take men and women like you and me and transform us into the children of God to put us into a race of people, into a family where death never comes, where everyone in the family has eternal life? To come into that place in relationship to God, this to me is a is some truth that I'm afraid too many of God's people take it. We talk too glibly about being the children of God. That's why I love to put it, we are the children of one who is God. Now you live today like that. I'm the child of one who is God. That being so, how shall I conduct my life? Don't you think it would be a wonderful thing if today you could just lift up your hearts to the eternal God and say, Abba, Father, and then pour out your heart to him, just like a child would pour out their hearts to their mother or to their daddy, or if they have need, come to your father, your heavenly father, and say, Abba, Father, you're my father, and you love me with an everlasting love, and you're sufficient for my need, and you've got tremendous interest in us, We are the objects of your love. Why don't you come today and spend some time in the presence of your Father? I'm talking to you who are Christians. If I'm talking to someone today who has never received the Lord Jesus Christ, this is what you're missing. Not only forgiveness of sins, not only eternal life, not only covered with the righteousness of Christ. These are wonderful things. But to come into this relationship, I'm a child of the living God. Now may the Lord make it precious and make it real to your heart today for his name's sake. Oh, soul, are you weary and troubled? No light in the darkness you see. There's light for a look at the Savior. And life more abundant and free. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. 
Thank you for listening to the Unchanging Word Bible Study today. And so until next time, this is the Unchanging Word Bible Broadcast. Life begins at Calvary.